This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Father God, we thank you tonight for what you're doing in our life. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. And now we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us in and through your word. Lord, we are a church that loves the Spirit, but Lord, we also love your truth. And your word says that those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. We are a spirit-truth gathering here tonight. And Jesus, we gather together in your name with the expectation that we're going to hear from heaven. Lord, I pray that I could step aside now, and Jesus, that you would be put on display in all that we do. We love you tonight. Speak to us, Lord. Equip us for every good work and send us out refreshed and full so that we can make a difference in our community. In Jesus' mighty name, the church said amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to begin right here in verse 17 tonight. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And here's what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. I want you to underline that or swipe that or highlight that in your Bibles tonight. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many, there are many, there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, they are headed for destruction, and their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Verse 20, but we are citizens of heaven. Say citizens. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Because, verse 21, he will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, praise God. And he'll do it using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. The title of my message tonight and what I want to talk to you guys about is living in light of Christ's return. More specifically, I want to talk to you guys about what Paul says here are patterns. Say it with me, patterns. I want to help you to recognize the patterns. What patterns, Pastor Jason? The pattern that Paul says to base your life on. As a kid, I loved discovering patterns. When I was a child growing up in the 80s, my parents were heavily involved. You got any 80s babies in the house? Yeah, a few of you. My parents were heavily involved in church when I was a kid, and they used to take me to meetings. And when I was a kid growing up in the church, we went to church not just once a week. Come on, we went to church sometimes four and five times a week. Any of you guys remember those days? I'm talking night meetings. I'm talking revival. I'm talking camp meeting. Come on, I'm talking ministry night after ministry night. And I used to, as a child, get a little bored sometimes. And I found myself looking at the carpet patterns and seams And I would allow my imagination to run wild. Sometimes I'd look up at the ceiling or I'd look at the walls and I'd begin to envision in the spackle 
of the paint. Concepts and ideas, sometimes creatures and dinosaurs. And I used to put together ideas in the patterns that I saw all around me. When I got a little bit older, I remember when PCs came out in the early 90s. How many of you guys grew up in the 90s? A couple 90s babies here today. All right. They used to call them personal computers, PCs. And I remember going over to my uncle's house, and he used to teach me how to code in DOS. Anybody remember DOS? This was before Windows 95. This was before Windows 3.11. There was no Windows operating system. There was just DOS. And DOS was a black screen with a little prompt, and you could write commands in, and it would do stuff. And my uncle was a bit of a computer nerd back then. And so he used to teach me how to discover the patterns in the code, in the language of computing and, and programming. And then I got a little older, and I was convinced that I wanted to be an architect. My dad was a general contractor growing up, so I was always on the job site. And I became fascinated with the idea of designing things from the ground up and understanding the patterns behind weight loading capacities and all that other stuff that completely is not interesting. I used to study geometry in school, and I loved geometry. I loved hexagons and octagons and figuring out shapes. And how many of you guys hated that stuff? It's okay. Yeah, yeah. You either love math or you hate it, right? There's no in-between. And then I got a little bit older, and I started to fall in love with music, and I quickly discovered that behind music are mathematical sequences or patterns, right? Principles and ideas built around melody and harmony and counterpoint. And when I got into college, I studied music composition with a professional composer, and I began to score, and I began to fall in greater love with the idea of discovering the patterns behind music. And that led me to begin to write and, and to construct songs. You could say that much of my young, if not adult life, has been spent, consumed by recognizing the patterns in our world. And here in this letter to, to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul tells the church to do what? To pattern their life after his. Why is this important? I'm glad you asked. Because I believe that Paul knows something that we don't. He knows that ultimately you and I are going to pattern our lives after someone. Come on. Or something. Come on, somebody. In Romans 12, 2, Paul would articulate it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. I want you to underline that or bold that or swipe that in your Bible. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. What, are, what is the, the pattern of this world that Paul is referring to here? We actually see it outlined for us in the previous verse from Philippians that we just looked at. Verse 18 through 19 says this, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. And they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. As your pastor tonight, I wonder if you'd allow me to help you and to equip you to discern and understand the patterns of this world so as not to be conformed to it. If I could sum it all up for us tonight, it would be this, that we think only 
about this life here on earth. We could sum up all of the worldly thinking and all of the earthly patterns as thinking only about this life here on earth. You could say it's having short-term thinking. And I believe that God is calling us to elevate our thinking tonight. He's calling us to rise up. The Bible says that our thoughts are not his thoughts. But come on, he gives us the mind of Christ, doesn't he? He gives us the mind of Christ so that our minds can be renewed, so that we're not conformed to the pattern of the world, to earthly thinking, to thinking only about what's going to happen to me today and tomorrow and later this week. But he brings it up to where he is, seated in heavenly places. In our culture today, we would describe the earthly virtue of this kind of thinking as rampant individualism. The greatest hallmark in our culture today is that we celebrate the individual. As Americans, we love the story of the rogue individual, don't we? The maverick, the one who goes out and does it. But this leads to what Shakespeare used to say, to thine own self be true, and to you do you. Or be whoever you want to be, right? And we're seeing this play out in new ways in our culture today, aren't we? We sure are. When I reflect on what has happened, not just within our culture, but within the church over the past year and a half, I'm grieved because I've seen so many people get sucked into earthly thinking. Into thinking that is not of God. Or that is not patterned after the heavens. Come on, church. God is calling us to a heavenly kind of pattern, to a heavenly kind of thinking. Paul goes on to say it in the very next verse, but we are, verse 20, citizens of heaven. We are representatives. We are ambassadors of another realm. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And he says, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? It means that our life flows from a different place and it follows a different pattern. Can I say that again? To be a citizen of heaven, to represent heaven here on earth, means that our life flows from a different place and it follows a different kind of pattern. Paul knew after encountering the living Christ that his true identity could no longer be conformed to the world but that it was in being seated, in being positioned in the heavens. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 says. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. How many are thankful for the love of God? We're thankful for the love of God. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Come on, Jesus didn't come to make good people or bad people good. He came to bring dead people to life. Amen? Even when we were dead... He made us alive together with Christ because it's by grace that you and I have been saved. And here it is, verse 6, and not just saved, time out. There are many churches and denominations that focus on the first part. And that's great. And praise God for the revelation and understanding that comes when you take a hold of the fact that you are saved, not by your own works, but by the grace of God. But I'm telling you, there's another part of the verse. And here it is, verse 6. And he's raised us up with Christ. And he's seated us with him in the heavenly places. <laughs> I appreciate the clap. But, but here's what I want to say to us tonight. I don't think we understand this the way that we should. 
I think many of us get into a cycle, or we could even say rhythm of striving, because we're trying to do life according to earthly thinking, when in reality, God has called us to come up a little higher, and to think a little bigger, and to dream a little wider. He says that Jesus has saved us and raised us up and now seated us with him in heavenly places. The idea of being seated speaks to authority. It speaks to positioning. God has positioned your life in the heavens. And some of you just don't know it yet. Some of you have been struggling with closet and secret sins because you don't know that you're seated with Christ already in the heavenly places. You don't know that your life is supposed to flow from a different place and follow a different kind of pattern. I want to pause and time out here because I believe God wants to say something specifically. And for those of you that are watching online tonight, we we greet you. But I want to say this. You can be black. You can be white. You can be Asian. You can be Hispanic. You can appreciate and you can celebrate your culture and heritage. Those are good things. You can even be an American, you can be a European, you can be an African, you can be an Australian and celebrate and appreciate your national culture and heritage, but don't miss the fact that your true allegiance, that your true citizenship is in heavenly places. Your identity doesn't flow from being first and foremost an American. It doesn't flow based on your sin color. It flows on your new identity in Christ. And Paul knew this because Paul was ethnically Jewish and he was a national citizen of Rome, right? He had a foot in both worlds, didn't he? And yet he knew that his greater calling was to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Paul knew that there was a heavenly pattern for his life that superseded all other allegiances. Elsewhere, Paul would say things like, follow me as I follow Christ. He would say things like, you are an ambassador of Jesus. He would say things like, so be imitators of Jesus. What's he ultimately saying? He's saying, you're a representative of heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven, first and foremost, and that should shape and be the filter through which you do everything. That should be the filter through which you think about your life and your calling and your vocation when you get up in the morning. Some of you guys like to get up real early. I'm not one of those people. I like to sleep in a little bit when I can. I got kids, so rarely. But what would happen if the first thing we did in the morning when we got up was to remind ourselves that we're citizens of heaven and that we carry with us heaven everywhere we go. As an ambassador, you are a representative. You not only represent the culture of heaven, you represent the DNA of heaven. You represent God's intention and his actions for heaven on earth. Paul continues, verse 21. Then he, who? Jesus. Come on will take our weak and our mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using, here it is, the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now, there are a few implications from this last verse that I want to stop and, and talk about for a moment. I want to give you four of them. 
But there's four implications from this last verse that I believe are imperative for us to grasp and to understand as citizens of heaven. Here they are, and I'm going to move fast. Number one, not everything is fully under God's control yet. Some of you are like, wait, hold on a second. Did I hear you right? I thought God was in control. Not everything is fully under God's control yet. This is not a denial of God's sovereignty, but it's an affirmation of the fact that many have chosen a life of rebellion. Many have chosen to oppose the rule and reign of God with their actions. We see this both in the life of people who don't know God, come on, and people who are still under the influence of the evil one, who are still under the influence of what the Bible calls in Ephesians 5, spiritual forces of darkness in where? Heavenly places. Number two, it means that on earth, God's will isn't always done. Some of you are like, wait a second, this is, this is challenging my theology. Well, good. Because when children are kidnapped out of Nigerian villages and sold into sex slavery, God's will isn't always being done. When a woman is physically abused at the hands of her lover, God's will isn't always being done. When families are torn apart by war and corruption and greed, God's will isn't always being done. How about when people perish due to cancer or disease or sickness? God's will isn't always being done. How do I know this? Well, let's just consider the last verse that we just read, Romans 12, 2. God's will is always what? Good and perfect and pleasing. It doesn't please God when people are kidnapped out of villages. It doesn't please God when people perish at the hands of cancer or disease. It doesn't please God when people are physically and emotionally abused or raped. That doesn't please God, and that's not perfect, and it ain't even good. Number three, we know that heaven is a place where God's will is always being done. Hallelujah. And Jesus says, therefore, as my disciples, as my ambassadors, as my representatives, pattern your prayer life like this. Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, as it is always being done in heaven. Come on, somebody. The heartbeat of God for our life is this, that what we see happening in heaven would come crashing in to earth, that the patterns of the heavenlies would become the patterns of this earth. And we know that in heaven, there is no sickness. Come on, there is no abuse. There is no pain or tragedy or earthquakes or famine. Hallelujah. And number four, much of what we end up seeing on earth, therefore, is a pattern of what takes place in heaven or what is already in heaven. Interestingly enough, we see this all throughout the scriptures. We see this in regards to the tabernacle of Moses, where God gave Moses distinct and specific plans to order the temple, or excuse me, the tabernacle, after what was already in heaven. We see it in the temple of Solomon as well. We even see it in what the Bible says Jesus did before the foundation of the world. Before God created you, before he created me, the Bible says the Lamb of God was already slain. Mind blown, right? We're like, how can that be? Because we know that God is out of time and we know that God is out of space. And yet he fashions our lives after his. When God looked into our humanity, guess what he saw first and foremost? He saw Jesus. He said, now let's make man in our image. Did he not? Is that not what Genesis 1 says? 
Let's make humankind, men and women, in our image. Before you were even born, there was a pattern, a heavenly pattern and a design. We like to call it a purpose for your life. And so Paul says, until Jesus comes, and until Jesus brings everything under his control, until God makes all of his enemies a footstool for his feet, you and I should pattern our lives after his and learn from those who follow their example. Remember verse 17? Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. So what does that look like? And how do we pattern our lives after his? Well, I believe there are some distinguishing marks of being a citizen of heaven. And there are some distinguishing marks in the Apostle Paul's life that we should look for and embody and pattern our lives after as well. Are you with me tonight? Number one, Paul's life was fully surrendered to God. His life was fully surrendered. He considered himself not just a friend, but a slave to Christ. Listen to this language from Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I, Paul, am a devoted slave of Jesus Christ on assignment, authorized as an apostle to proclaim God's words and acts. Did you know that the word for servant in the Bible is the Greek word doulos, and it means slave? We don't like to use that language because of our national history. But the truth is, Paul considered himself a slave to Christ. Why? Because his life was fully surrendered. And a slave doesn't have ownership of their own life. It's fully yielded. It's fully surrendered. Now, we understand that there can be negative connotations when human beings try to own other human beings. And we look down upon that, right? Yes, Pastor Jason, we do. But we know that when it comes to our own life, we were bought with a price. The Bible says we were redeemed. The language of redemption is borrowed from the slave market. God has redeemed you. And you know what else? You're no longer a slave to what? To sin. So that you can what? Run amok and be free? Just do your own thing? Woo! Just doing my own thing tonight. I'm free for the sake of freedom. That never works well, does it? No, come on, you were brought out of bondage to sin to come into bondage to Christ. You're a slave to Christ. So let me ask you, I should say it this way. Everybody is somebody's slave. The question is, whose slave are you? Are you a slave to public opinion? Are you a slave to what people think about you? Are you a slave to comparison games? Are you a slave to social media? Come on, are you a slave to sin still tonight or are you a slave to Christ? Paul's life was fully surrendered to God because he understood that God purchased and redeemed him out of being a slave to sin to becoming a slave to Jesus. Number two, Paul's life was radically dependent upon God. He would say things like this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knew that the life he knew, the life that he used to be about, the life that was only concerned with earthly things and earthly thinking was dead and gone. It had been buried with Christ. When we talk about baptism, we're talking about spiritual burial. When you go down into the waters of baptism, you are burying your old life. 
your old life of sin, your old life that's all about you, and you are raised to life and seated with Christ in heavenly places so that you can depend upon his life too. Paul knew that the life that he now lived, he lived by faith. Church, we live our life based not on what we see, but based on faith. So let me ask you tonight, what have you put your faith in? What are you placing your faith in? What are you depending on? That might be a better way to say it. Or what are you trusting in? Politics? Government? Stimulus checks? Vaccine shots? Oh, he went there. Your own education? Your good looks? Come on, all those things are going to fade, right? But Christ remains. So what have you put your faith in? If you've put your faith in the things of this world that are passing away, I'm telling you, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I think most of you that are in Christ and that are here tonight that have put, put that old life away would give me an amen on that. Amen. Number three, Paul's life. Amen. amen and amen. Number three, Paul's life was zealous for the things of God. He was zealous for, he was passionate about the Holy Spirit. He was passionate about praying in tongues. He said, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all y'all. He was passionate about prophecy. He was passionate about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14.1. I don't have it on the screen, but here's what it says. Pursue love and earnestly desire, passionately desire, be zealous for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Some of you are like, yes. So let me ask you, what are you eagerly desiring? Are you eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts are you eagerly desiring to prophesy, to speak life where there is none? Come on. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. That's what God calls us to. Or are you eagerly desiring other things? The word we might use instead is appetite. So let me ask you, how's your appetite tonight? Remember what Paul said earlier. He said, those who he branded as enemies of the cross, their God is their appetite. Their God is their appetite. Now, the implication here is that Paul is talking about food, but it could just as easily be an appetite, an appetite for other things. So I want to say this to us tonight, and I'm speaking this prophetically. The reason I believe that we are not encountering God the way that we want to or sometimes wish to is because of our appetite, our spiritual appetite, or sometimes the lack thereof. So I want to ask us this question tonight. Does your appetite for God exceed your appetite for the things of this world? Does your appetite for God exceed your appetite for a bigger bank account, for a better car, for a bigger apartment or house? Does your spiritual appetite for the things of God exceed the things of this world? Paul's life was zealous, hungry for the things of God. And my prayer each and every week as I lift you all up before the throne of God is that you would grow hungrier for the things of God, that you would long for the things of God, that your, your hunger and your appetite would be just ferociously stirred for the things of God. And finally, number four, Paul's life was lived in pursuit of the presence of God. Paul lived with the immediate sense of God's presence in his life and all that he did. He was driven by it. He was fueled by it. 
he was fueled by his understanding that Jesus was going to come again and that, he would, and that he should and that we should eagerly await his return. He was enthusiastic and passionate and in pursuit of the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. Why? Because he encountered it on that road to Damascus and it changed everything for him. It took a religious zealot and turned him into one of the greatest missionaries that we've ever seen. It took a Pharisee and turned him into one of the greatest church planners that we've ever seen. Come on, somebody who took the gospel all throughout Asia Minor and all throughout that part and region of the world. All because of his pursuit, the presence of God. And even now when we encounter the presence of Jesus, when we gather through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says when two or more are gathered in his name, there he is. Come on, church, we are a church that loves to gather that loves to gather because we have this expectation that we are going to experience and encounter the presence of God. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again until the Lord takes me home or he returns. But we are a presence-driven people. We are driven by the sense and the expectation and the eager awareness of God's presence in our midst. That's why it's it's oftentimes hard for us to transition out of those moments, isn't it? right? Because his presence is so good. And for some of you, you're like, well, what are you talking about? Like, I was drinking my coffee, and I'm looking around the room, and I see people with their hands raised, and what do they got that I don't have? Much of your understanding of the presence of God is not based on necessarily what's happening in the room. It's based on your ability to discern it and realize it. How is it that we can be in a gathering, and all of us can be experiencing something completely different at the same time? Even now I'm preaching this word and some of you are thinking about something else or God is highlighting something else. Come on, I've been in those, those meetings where the preacher's preaching one thing and the Holy Spirit's preaching another. How can it be that we could all gather together and hear the same voice and the same word and the same spirit be moving and yet us all experience it differently? I would say because that's the beauty of his presence. He makes a wide room available for all who hunger and seek after him. And as a church, guys, I gotta tell you, This is where we're going. If you think we're just going to build better programs and do more, I hate to break it to you, but the longer I follow Jesus, the more I fall in love with just being in his presence. The more that I realize that I'm not capable to do anything apart from him. In fact, none of us can. And the more that we understand that, the more we come into an awareness of that, the more we're going to be in pursuit of the presence of God. The more we're going to be surrendered to it. The more we're going to depend upon it. The more we're going to be zealous for it. That's my heartbeat for us tonight. So before we close, I want to do one more thing tonight. This past week, Candace and I and a few of our team members were able to go back to be a part of the Arise Shine Conference in Kalamazoo, Michigan. For those of you that don't understand why Pastor Jason and Candace and a couple of our team would go to Kalamazoo, of all places, let me tell you why. Years ago, before we planted this church, while we were still living in Dallas, the Lord spoke to me and spoke to Candace, and he gave us a prophetic passage from the the book of Isaiah, and it was chapter 60, verse 1, and it says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And it shook us, and it shifted our paradigm about what we desired for what we wanted to be a part of in the days to come. I've done vocational ministry now for almost 20 years of my life, over 20 years, since I was 17. I've been all over the world. I've traveled with missionaries, and I've been a part of many churches. And I can tell you this, 
that my hunger for the presence of God is greater now than it ever has been. Because I believe that we're going to see that text, Isaiah 60, prophetically fulfilled in our time. It was a message to the people of God through the prophet Isaiah then, but I believe it's a relevant message for us, to, for us today. It's that if you and I would arise and shine, come on, the impetus is upon the people of God, not the world, not our government, not politics, but if you and I would arise and shine, we would see the glory of the Lord like never before. And I believe that. I believe that's a prophetic word for the church. And so the Lord gave that to us and then began to link us with other people that shared that same DNA. And one of them was this church in Michigan called Radiant Church, Pastor Lee Cummings, who now serves as a board member in our church, who is a spiritual overseer in our church, pastors that church. He planted it back in 1996. And in 96, the word of the Lord to, to Lee and to Jane was this, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. God has begun to weave us and to put us together like he does with others that share that same heartbeat, to see revival, to see renewal, to see restoration, to see freedom, to see salvation, to see repentance, to see our nation and the nations of this world changed because of the glory of God. Not because of our great programs, not because of our lights and our haze, not because of our fancy Instagram profile pictures, but because of the glory of God. Flash forward a few years later, Candace and I are standing in Salt Lake City and we're sitting up on the top of a mountain and we're hearing the Lord say, Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Church, I'm living for the glory. And I want to invite you to do the same. If we can, I want to take just a moment to share about six minutes of what I felt like was a very prophetic moment for us as a church from the conference that I just happened to capture with my phone. Is that okay tonight? I want to share a little bit of the heartbeat of what I'm hearing the Spirit say to the church, and I want you guys to be a part of it. I'm thankful that I was able to go, but come on, I believe that God wants that for us here tonight. And so I want you to hear from Pastor Lee as he prays for other churches and other leaders and other uh, pastors from all all over the country. Let's go ahead and play that clip. And I'm not looking for the approval of the world to tell me who I am. I'm not going to stand in the line of the wicked in order to have a place and a voice. Lord, we're in an Acts 4 moment. We're in an Acts 4 moment where you filled us in Acts 2. But here we stand, Lord. We've been told, don't preach in the name of Jesus. Dial down the gospel message. Fit into the culture. But Lord, we're crying out, Lord, you've heard their threats. Stretch out your hand once again to your church. God, stretch out your hand with signs and wonders. Once again, God. Jesus, we need you. We need you to shake the building that we are in once again and to fill us with your Holy Spirit once again. Lord, we need boldness. We need courage. We need to be blinded by the radiance of your glory once again, Jesus. God, we're calling on you. Move. Come on, all across this room. I just want us to take the next few moments. 
Come on, just next few moments and let's intercede. Let's intercede for our cities. Let's intercede for our church. Let's intercede for our nation. If we're waiting for somebody else to pray, it's not going to happen. It's for us. No great revival has ever come without a people praying with great expectation. Jesus, we're in a 50th year since the Jesus movement. It's time for a jubilee year for you to set the captain straight. set free, for debts to be canceled, and for the presence of the Lord, the favorable year of the Lord, and the judgments of the Lord. Judgment begins in the house of God. Lord, we repent. We repent for looking at other methods and other means, God. We repent for being arrogant and saying that we're rich. And we need nothing, God. We are poor and blind and wretched and pitiable. We need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to come and breathe life into our lungs once again. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and sweep across America from sea to shining sea. Jesus, we need conviction from your spirit. We need the prodigals to come home. Lord, right now, on every major university campus all across America, we need you to tear down the spiritual barbed wire on the concentration camps of hell called universities. And we need a move of God to set the captives free to break down the philosophies of men, to set captives free from the sin and the sickness of our flesh and our carnality. Lord, in the churches, Lord, we've exchanged another gospel for the gospel. Paul said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for another gospel. Lord, we repent for fashioning your gospel to meet American culture. And what we need, Jesus, is we need the cross. We need the power of your resurrection, Lord. We need it in our youth ministries before we lose another generation, before another generation that rises up that neither knows the works of God nor God himself. Lord, we're not satisfied to let a generation be offered on a sacrifice of our convenience. We repent, God. We say, Lord, move in your church by fire. Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord and you answered, God, this is an hour for the church to rebuild the altar of the Lord and to prepare for God to answer by fire. Yes. Jesus answered by fire. We've heard what you've done. Lord, we've heard about the first great awakening. We know what you did in upstate New York under Charles Finney. Lord, we've heard about William J. Seymour at Azusa Street. Lord, we've heard about the Welsh revival. Lord, we've heard about the healing revivals. God, we've heard about the latter rain outpouring in 1948, the charismatic renewal of the 60s, 
the Jesus movement of the 70s, the Word of Faith movement of the 80s and the 90s, the third wave outpouring. We heard this morning about Pensacola, and we remember Toronto, but God, we need a fresh outpouring in our day. Jesus said the fire. We need another Pentecost. Jesus send the fire. Send the fire, God. Send the wine. Send the oil. Send the fire. And I believe the Lord has been hammering this note on the piano of our lives recently. You guys have heard my passion and my zeal for this sense of God calling us to get ready and to prepare our hearts and to buy oil for our lamps and to, to not get left out of what God wants to do. And it's because of this reason. I believe we're going to see something that we've never seen before in our lifetime. And I mean it with all my heart. So I'm just going to be transparent and real as we close out our time together. But I told the Lord, I said, God, I won't go unless you go. And I won't move unless you move. Because it's not enough. It's not enough. And for many of us, we come to church and we, we sing a few songs and we hear a great word. And we leave and we go home and we're still hungry. We're still desperate. And for some of you, that's been the prayer of your heart in the secret place of your relationship with the Lord, that God would move like he's never moved before, that you would see what you've heard about, that you would see what we see in this Bible, in our lives, in our families, in our communities, that we would see the greater works that Jesus talks about that we would see that we would see the dead raised and that we would see demons cast out and that we would see the sick healed. I'm sick and tired of seeing people die because of cancer. I'm sick and tired of seeing people die because nobody stood in that gap for them and interceded for them when they needed it. And we're going to be that church. We're going to risk it all. We're going to risk our reputation. We're going to step into the gap for the sake of our city, for the sake of our families, for the sake of the people all around us. And I don't care if we don't see what we think we should see, we're going to risk it all for Jesus. Because I believe God is calling us to be a part of the greatest harvest that we will see. Pastor Lee talks about another awakening. I believe it's here. And I believe that if the church would rise up, would awaken, and that they would take the, sh the light that's upon them and go out, that we would see the glory of the Lord. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.